Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Did you know that the greatest commandment in the scripture is this? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Going back to verse 2, we read, So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy a long life. Following Deuteronomy 6, 5, we read, The commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Verses 6 and 7. Israelite history reveals that the father was to be diligent in instructing his children in the ways and words of the Lord for their own spiritual development and well-being. The father who was obedient to the commands of Scripture did just that. This brings us to Proverbs 22, 6. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. To train indicates the first instructions that a father and mother give to a child, his early education. The training is designed to make clear to children the manner of life they are intended for. To commence a child's early education in this way is of great importance. And on this weekend where we celebrate Father's Day, you could have no better instructions than the Word of God to love the Lord your God with all your heart, fathers. Well, Rick, welcome to the program today. We've got a lot to cover. We've got our broadcast partners, Ken Timmerman, David Dolan, Winky Madad, because you know what? I wanted to focus this week on the inevitable war that looks like is shaping up between Iran and Israel. We're going to get right to that as we need to go to our broadcast partners. And let's get started with our first, Ken Timmerman. Well, that's right, Jimmy. I've got Ken Timmerman with us. He's an author. He's an analyst. He's our expert on geopolitical affairs. You can find out more about Ken by going to his website, KenTimmerman.com. Ken, thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me on, Rick. It's always a pleasure. Well, Ken, we're going to start this program, and we're going to have a special emphasis today on what is taking place in Iran, because it seems like the situation is gathering steam there. Uh, we're going to cover this from a few different angles. The first angle is, it seems like maybe the restarting of the U.S. nuclear deal, that might not be in the cards, but it looks like there's at least some type of negotiation being negotiated by the U.S., isn't there? Uh, this is a huge story, Rick. It was broken by the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. Both of them had big pieces on that earlier this week. There has been a secret outreach between Biden administration officials and the Iranians. Some of the talks have taken place in Oman, in the Persian Gulf. They've not been direct, we're told. The U.S. would sit in one room, the Iranians would sit in the other, but it doesn't matter. They've come, what appears to be, to a uh, agreement in principle for a deal that is not a deal. Now, why can it not be a deal? Because the U.S. Congress in 2015, after the last Iran deal, uh, where they felt they got snookered by Obama and John Kerry, they passed a bill called the Iran Nuclear Agreement Review Act, which requires any future uh, lifting of nuclear sanctions against Iran or any kind of agreement between the United States and Iran nuclear capabilities must go to Congress to be reviewed and 
approved. And Biden knows that he will not be able to get any through Congress. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dead letter. It just won't happen. So what he's done is that he has negotiated a backdoor agreement uh, with the Iranians where we basically say to them, it's okay, keep your nuclear weapons program. Just please don't tell us too much about it. You can continue enriching to 60%. This is unbelievable. Even the 2015 deal acknowledged that 60% was virtually you know, weapons grade. 90% is what you need to make a weapon, but it doesn't take much enriching to go from 60% to 90%. So the 2015 deal capped enrichment at 3.5%. This is 60%. It's unbelievable. We're basically allowing them to amass a virtual nuclear weapons stockpile. And in exchange for that, we're going to lift sanctions. We're going to give them money. We're going to release tens of billions of dollars to them. Uh, this is uh, an unbelievable betrayal of the United States. Some people have called it a pay and pray strategy on Biden's part, where he's going to pay off the Iranians and pray that they won't do bad things. It's just an unbelievable uh, development, Rick, and one that I hope our, our viewers will be reading about a lot in the days to come. Well, Ken, when you look at these deals and these negotiations, you have to be able to trust your partner. And it certainly doesn't seem from the way they've acted in the past and even uh, the rhetoric that comes out of their government that we can trust this partner. And uh, the Supreme Leader uh, Ayatollah Khomeini says that there was nothing that the United States or anybody in the West could do to stop them from developing a nuclear weapon anyways. Is that true? Uh, that's absolutely correct. At this point, they are building uh, deeply buried nuclear facilities. These are new facilities. We don't know what's in them. They have not been declared to the International Atomic Energy Agency. So, you know, what are they doing in these deeply buried facilities that they believe will be able to survive an attack with bunker busting bombs by the United States or Israel? Maybe they're building bombs in those facilities. So Khamenei is right. We cannot stop them at this point, except through military action. And this deal, the one thing this deal aims to do, Rick, I can guarantee you, is to forestall an Israeli military strike on Iran. That's what this is. This is put the handcuffs on Israel deal by the Biden White House. Well, Ken, I'd like to talk about that a little bit. Does this provide any security or guarantees for Israel? Uh, absolutely. Contrary, Rick, uh, this should be a red flag. And, and what I found interesting in the, in the New York Times story, they, they cited unnamed sources, but they said they had three unnamed sources in Israel. <laughs> and then they had one American unnamed source uh, and one Iranian unnamed source, and then a couple of public comments from Hamanei. But the fact that the Israelis uh, have learned about this and are talking about this, clearly they are worried they understand what this is all about. They understand this is aimed at putting the handcuffs on them, essentially grounding the Israeli Air Force from striking Iran. Well, they certainly should be concerned considering the rhetoric coming out of Iran and also the Iranian-backed proxies that surround Israel that are actively opposing and actively attacking Israel. Well, we'll continue on. We'll continue to look at Iran. And not only are they doing this with their nuclear program, not only do they have the operation that they have against Israel, but you look at what's uh, taking place with Iran and their diplomacy in Latin America with anti-U.S., anti-Western powers, they are developing alliances in these nations, aren't they? Uh, they are. And it's not something new, Rick. OK, the, the Iranians have been developing relations with Venezuela, with Cuba, with Nicaragua 
for a number of years. But just this past week, the Islamic uh, State of Iran president, Raisi, went on a five-day tour to Latin America to meet with the leaders of those countries. I call it the Hate America tour by Raisi. They went, he went there to basically poke us in the eye. Uh, here I am in your backyard making deals with your enemies, and we're there to back them up. Venezuela collapsing from sanctions? Not to worry. Iran is going to help them with oil technology and with other technology, going to help them to break embargoes, to acquire technology, and the same thing with both Nicaragua and Cuba. One of the things I found most choice about this particular tour, Rick, was that in both Nicaragua and in Venezuela, the presidents there said they were going to put up monuments to Qasem Soleimani, the uh, mm. leader of the Quds Force, who was killed by the Americans uh, in January of 2021. Unbelievable. The world's top terrorist, they're going to put up monuments to celebrate him. Isn't that something? Not a George Washington, uh, not a Thomas Jefferson, but Qasem Soleimani, the terrorist. Well, I don't have to remind our listeners, I don't think, but uh, we have to be very careful about who we're negotiating with and know their character. In fact, if I can continue on, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago where we were talking about the Iranian protest, the hijab protest, and basically the Iranian attack on human rights and women's rights. And I know this is an issue that is near and dear to your heart, the freedom of the Iranian people. Uh, these are the people we're negotiating with now. Uh, well, we're nego negotiating with the leaders who are repressing the Iranian people. Absolutely. Uh, you had one of their police chiefs in Mazandaran province, which is on the shores of the Caspian Sea, right north of Tehran, this week say uh, he's going to put up special security cameras to identify women who are not wearing proper hijab at the beaches. Now, I hope everybody's sitting down. Hijab at the beaches means a woman is fully clothed from head to foot in mm. a cl black cloth and goes into the water with all of that cloth around them. They have women who die of drowning wearing these hijabs at the beaches, but they're enforced to do so by the so-called morality police. And that's the regime that Biden wants to support and wants to make a deal with. Well, let me just wrap it up. One final question here. In return for these talks, they're saying they're getting the restrictions and the... Um sanctions released on Iran. If that happens, billions are going to flow to Iran, they say, for humanitarian purposes. What kind of consequence is that going to have? Well, uh, the United States is pretending through, again, these leakers who went to the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, they're pretending that, uh, well, we're going to put some limitations on how that money is spent. We're going to require that they spend this money. There's 2.7 billion that's being released this week from Iraq. Uh, th that's going back to Iran. We're going to require that that money gets spent on humanitarian projects inside Iran to help the Iranian people through third party vendors that we approve. Sure. <laughs> I believe that like I believe the results of the 2020 election. Uh, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to have any any influence on how the money is spent. Uh, one of the big criticisms, remember, of the 2015 nuclear deal was that it sent tens of billions of dollars to the Revolutionary Guards, the Quds Force, to use for terrorism. Well, the same thing is going to happen here. Everybody knows it. They're just trying to put the Biden administration, they're trying to put lipstick on a pig. we got to take a break, but when we come back, Ken, I want you to answer the question for us, if you will, what will happen in Europe if Ukraine loses the war with Russia? We'll do that right after we take a break, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. 
I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. The Turkish government has restarted payment collections for water and electricity supply in earthquake-hit areas and demanding back payment. On top of that, summertime presents new challenges for quake survivors still living in temporary shelters. Bruce Allen with FMI says, As we move from the winter months now to getting warmer temperatures, a big deal is water for the people. So there's daily rations of water going out to the people and they will stand in line for hours to get their gallons of water for the day. So the water distribution is still a critical need. FMI supports Turkish churches who are providing food, shelter and clean water in Jesus's name. Find your place in the story at missionnews.org. And last week, we mentioned that two-thirds of the Bibleist languages in Europe are sign languages. We'll take a closer look at the issue today with Rob Myers of Door International. Europe isn't the only place where sign languages don't have God's Word. Only one of the world's 350 sign languages has a full Bible translation. How do we address the sign language needs of the world? We look at things like how many people use that language. An example would be Russian Sign Language, because Russian Sign Language was actually taught throughout Eastern Europe and Central Asia. At the same time, a Bible translation is only valuable if people use it. Dor combines deaf-led church planting with Bible translation efforts. Read the full story at our website. And most importantly, pray. Pray for spiritual maturity, encouragement. Thanks for listening to Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. We're listener-supported by people just like you. So by giving to Mission Network News, you enable us to keep the stories of God's kingdom coming. And together, the Great Commission happens. Look for links at missionnews.org. That's missionnews.org. I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. Along with Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, you're just back from Israel, so I can't wait to be able to talk to David Dolan and Winky Madad coming up in just a moment. But uh, before the break, I wanted to, to approach the subject of Ukraine and Russia and who wins that war. Really quick, we'll go to the Ukrainian crisis. Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, has been talking about the consequences of either uh, Ukraine winning the war and what that means for Russia, or if Ukraine loses the war, what that would mean for all of Europe. Well, Zelensky is claiming that if his big counteroffensive, which, by the way, we haven't seen yet, we've seen an increase, an uptick of Ukrainian offensive operations, but not the big strategic counteroffensive that everybody's been talking about so far. But what Zelensky is saying is that if we win this big counteroffensive, uh, it's going to be a huge defeat for Russia and will mean the end of their war effort. I think that's a bit full thinking, but you know, he's a wartime president. He's allowed to say things like that. He needs to buck up his own people and to uh, get support internationally. On the other hand, he's saying he's now posing an ultimatum to the United States. And he's saying the U.S. must now choose between sending our children to die in Ukraine, really, or losing Ukraine, then Poland, maybe Germany, the Baltic states to an expanse of Russia. Uh, Zelensky is playing with fire here, in my in my opinion. I think he's using scare tactics with the U.S. He's trying to get NATO to make a declaration that Ukraine eventually will be allowed to join NATO. As I think everybody knows by now, that has been the biggest red line to Russia. And really one of the main causes of the current conflict is Ukraine getting close to NATO. Uh, Russia does not want to have NATO 
on its border in Eastern Europe. It's already bad enough that Finland has joined NATO. That added 850 miles to the Russian border with NATO. But if Ukraine joined NATO, this would be like a dagger plunged into Russia's heart. So Zelensky is playing with fire. Some people, I think, understand this in the United States. There are some legislators who are concerned about the way the war is going. But for the most part, it's jingoism all the way. You have a Lindsey Graham, the chicken hawk from South Carolina, going to Ukraine recently and laughing when they talk about killing Russians. So this is not, I think, a responsible attitude for people who are serious about our national security. We shouldn't be laughing at the death of Russians. We should be crying over the death of Ukrainians, and we should be trying to bring this war to an end if there's any possible way of doing it. Well, serious repercussions are possible as we continue to look at that Ukrainian crisis. Final question today, and we continue around the world. Uh, Current Secretary of State Blinken is heading to China with a visit that most likely has low expectations on both sides. And and in the meantime, a former Secretary of State had some interesting things to say about our relationship with China. Uh, Henry Kissinger is the man, remember, who opened up China in 1972 with Richard Nixon. He has always been a Sinophile. He has been pretty much pro-China, anti-Russian for decades. And uh, Kissinger, who I believe is still one of our great minds on foreign policy, you don't have to agree with Henry Kissinger to respect the scope of his uh, knowledge and the scope of his experience and to respect also his opinion. Because when he does actually come out and give you a prognostication, it's something I think we should listen to. So recently, Kissinger gave an interview, and he was talking about the China-U.S. relationship, uh, the tensions that have been building for many years between the U.S. and China, and the perception on both sides, in both Beijing and Washington, that uh, the countries are, are at loggerheads and are slow marching their way to a conflict. And he said, we're now at the top of a precipice, and we have to walk back. And this is the real kicker, Rick. He said, I think some military conflict is probable Mm. United States and China. Not possible, but probable if we don't walk back this increasing hostility, this increasing confrontation that we're seeing between the two countries. I think that's a pretty uh, extraordinary statement from Henry Kissinger. And I think it's something that we should we should listen to. Um, If the United States and China go to war over Taiwan, for example, will they have an oops moment and say, oh my gosh, what have we done? Let's walk back. I think so. Once the fighting starts, I cannot think of a conflict in history, Rick, where the two sides have walked away and said, we're not going to battle this out. The time that you, you walk away is before the fighting starts. And that would be now. And I think that's what Kissinger is doing. He's trying to warn American leaders, look, don't take this, don't push this too far. I'm not sure that I agree with him on that. He, again, Kissinger has been very pro-China over his career. He has many business interests in China. And so that piece of it, I'm a little bit leery of, but he is warning, if we don't do something, military conflict is probable. And I think that's something we need to take seriously. I agree with you. And so many concerning events taking place around the world, and you help us to navigate them. Well, we appreciate you taking the time. I know you're uh, at your family home in the south of France for most of the summer here. So I appreciate you taking the time to inform and talk to our listeners about these subjects. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much, Rick. It's always a pleasure. God bless. Great insight as always, Ken. And remember, we're focusing on Iran today and the role that Iran is playing not only in the Middle East, 
but around the world and the significance it will have in the Middle East in the future in Bible prophecy. Let's go to David Dolan, Rick, with our Middle East news update. David, great to have you with us on the program today. Blessing to be with you as always. Well, David, we have many things to look at right now when we are looking at our Middle East news update, but let's start with the Israel-Iran situation, and it looks like we're heading towards an inevitable military conflict. Can you update us as to where we are in this situation right now? Well, Rick, as I mentioned last week, Israel's been conducting what it calls Operation Firm Hand, which is a training exercises in the air, on the sea, and on the land by all of their forces for uh, a full war with Iran and its proxy forces in Lebanon, Syria, the Gaza Strip, and inside of Israel and uh, Judea and Samaria. And all sorts of things have been happening. As I mentioned last week, there was an underground meeting of the security cabinet in Tel Aviv to discuss all of this. But this week, uh, the prime minister met at the Knesset with the Foreign Affairs Committee, and he said that Israel will not stand in the way of a U.S. agreement with Iran, that the details were reported on Thursday in the New York Times. But he also stressed that Israel retains the right to act as it sees its need to act and is readying to do so. But according to the published reports, the so-called mini-agreement, as uh, Bibi Netanyahu called it, uh, would uh, ensure that Iran not enrich its uranium beyond 60%. Now, the original nine, uh, 2015 accord, it was only 3.5%, so it's much uh, greater now, but that's still 30% less than is needed for a nuclear bomb. The Prime Minister reportedly told the Knesset members that it's a, quote, small deal, a mini-agreement, and that uh, the Biden administration is determined to do this. And, uh, Rick, Israel doesn't need any more problems with the Biden administration. In fact, it was announced that the Israeli defense secretary would meet with the American, his American counterpart, not in Washington, but in Europe uh, in the next few days. Bibi has banned all uh, cabinet ministers from going to the United States to meet with their counterparts in the Biden administration. And that just shows how tense relations are between the U.S. and Israel on the political level, at least, militarily, not so much. But this would allow the uh, Iranians to get some money that's owed them from Iraq and from uh, South Korea that the U.S. had embargoed. Apparently, the Iranians would agree to stop supplying ballistic missiles to Russia in support of the war in Ukraine. And it would also, according to the report, stop its proxy attacks on U.S. forces in Syria. Uh, that's very important. Now, this is an unofficial accord that would remain unwritten, we're told, in these reports. The reason for that being that the U.S. Senate, there is a previous law that the U.S. Senate has to be informed of any new formal accords with Iran 30 days before they go into effect at least and have a say in it. Well, according to this, it's a off the cuff. Oman is negotiating between the two sides or is the mediator between the two sides and it would be a verbal agreement only. Uh, by the way, Rick, we also had the U.S. announce that it is sending Raptor F-22 fighter jets to Syria to protect the 900 U.S. forces that are there. That's after Russia uh, was accused of flying dangerously close to U.S. aircraft in the area 
and to doing mock attacks upon those bases where the U.S. forces are. So there's still a great deal of tension, not only between Russia and the United States, but the Middle East in general still very hot. And again, Netanyahu said, we're not going to oppose this U.S. effort because we know it's going to do no good, is what essentially he said. We don't like it, but we know they're determined to do it. And uh, we retain the right to strike at Iran if we feel it necessary. But if this accord or this agreement actually held, then Israel might be, you know, not need to go right now, at least, against Iran's nuclear program. We'll see. Again, we're focusing on Israel and Iran, and it's ramping up, so it looks like this could be the beginning of Ezekiel 38. But remember, before Ezekiel 38 takes place, the way I look at it, the rapture happens first. Well, let's take a break, and we'll see if Israel is begrudgingly going along with this agreement. Right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we're examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. This is Father's Day weekend, and again, I want to encourage you, all you fathers, and I'm one of them. Rick, you're one of them. You have three. I have five. And uh, we had a great father that helped us along, and he did encourage us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul, and with all of your strength. And I love the way it says in Luke, with everything within you. Well, we do wish everyone a happy Father's Day. And uh, we're continuing on on our theme of the impending, or looks like, a situation taking place in Iran. I know we've talked about this before, Rick, but it looks like something is getting ready to take place in Iran and Israel. They're preparing. They're getting ready. We've seen these things ramping up. So, uh, David, welcome back to the program. But do you think that Israel is begrudgingly going along with this deal? Yes, I mean, we've had reports of it for several weeks that these talks were taking place with Oman being the mediator, and we've known that. We just didn't know all the details of it. But uh, the Biden administration also wants to get back um, U.S. citizens that are being held in Iran, and that's another uh, aspect I didn't mention. According to the press reports, Iran would release the Americans it's holding, and the U.S. would release around 10 Iranians that are being held in American jails for various offenses, mostly criminal offenses. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, basically, it's uh, it's Bibi throwing up his hands and saying, look, Joe Biden doesn't like me. 
He doesn't like uh, my administration. He doesn't like my political partners. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's not much we can do about it. Of course, he's still stung by the fact that he's one of the last world leaders that's an ally of the U.S. to be invited to the White House. He hasn't been invited. And so in retaliation, he just banned all Israeli um, cabinet ministers from meeting with their counterparts uh, in the United States, in the United States, but they can meet them in Europe. And that's where this uh, defense secretary meeting is supposed to take place. So it just shows that there is that continuing tension. But um, we'll see. It certainly lessens the chance, Rick, that Israel would take unilateral action against Iran, because as most analysts have noted, they really would need the backing of the United States, especially if it erupted into a fuller Middle East war, as is widely expected it would. Hezbollah has basically vowed to get involved. Uh, they said this week they have 8,000 fighters all trained to invade northern Israel. If there's any new war, they made some other strong statements. They said they would reach uh, Al-Quds, Jerusalem, and overrun the country. Of course, those are ridiculous boasts. Hezbollah alone couldn't do that. But in the midst of a wider war with other people participating, maybe even Russia backing it, they might have a chance to create some real chaos. So it's, a, it's a still a very tense situation, and we'll just have to see what happens. It certainly is very tense, and many of the things that you say here are looking forward to events that are going to take place in God's end-time scenario of Bible prophecy. Well, we look at this situation, and you talk about Israel's relationship with Iran and the negotiations between Iran and the United States, but we also have to be fully aware, and you talked about Hezbollah, we have to be fully aware that these are Iranian proxies that that's what Israel really has to worry about because they're right on its borders, right? Well, and not only around its borders, uh, the Islamic Jihad group was set up directly by Iran in the 1980s. Hamas wasn't, but they later were adopted by Iran, as it were. And, of course, they have many supporters inside of Israel amongst the Israeli Arabs, as well as, of course, in Judea and Samaria and the Gaza Strip. So Iran has its shock troops right there, right inside the conflict. Now, of course, they're not a military force, Hamas or Islamic Jihad, to compare with with Israel's uh, army and navy and air force, uh, some of the best in the world. Nevertheless, they can do a lot of trouble. We've seen that already. They can carry out terror attacks. They can create all sorts of trouble inside of Israel. But of course, in, in the context of a full Middle East war with Iran directly involved, with Syria probably involved, with Hezbollah involved and already saying we'll invade northern Israel, et cetera, it's a real, you know, enemy that Israel's facing, a real serious enemy, and they know it. And again, uh, the ties between Iran and China have been improving. The ties between Russia and Iran are very strong right now with them supplying these drone aircraft and ballistic missiles to the Russian military in its war in Ukraine. So we have a situation there, declining U.S. influence, declining U.S. at least political connections to Israel, support for Israel, and increasing communist 
China involvement and Russian involvement, and uh, Iran is feeling on a roll, and its leaders have basically said that. In fact, the Supreme Leader Khamenei met with Islamic Jihad leaders in Tehran during the week, Rick, and again pledged full support for them in their, quote, struggle to liberate Palestine, and obviously Iran's goal remains the same as Islamic Jihad and Hamas and Hezbollah to destroy Israel completely. Well, we will certainly keep tabs on that situation as the conflict between Iran and Israel seems to escalate to a point of maybe no return, but we'll see what happens. Well, you mentioned China being involved in this situation. We look at Palestinian leader Mahmoud Abbas. He went to China and he's looking to expand his influence and the Palestinian influence in the Middle East. Can you talk about that? Yes, uh, it was his fifth uh, engagement in China, actually, and he also met the Chinese premier when he was in Saudi Arabia uh, last winter. Their ties are strong, and the foreign minister in Beijing, the Chinese foreign minister, released a statement this week saying, we're always firmly supporting the just cause of the Palestinian people to restore their legitimate national rights. So, you know, expressing full Chinese support for Abbas and for the PA. Of course, China at this point, as far as we know, doesn't um, aid Hamas or Islamic Jihad, but they again are increasing their ties with Iran, and Iran certainly does that. So, and Iran sells a huge amount of oil to China, and that's a great source of income for them, which allows them to continue to prepare for this war. But it's interesting, Rick, there was a poll taken amongst Palestinians during the week about uh, Mahmoud Abbas. 80% of the respondents reportedly, this was an Arab poll, said they want him to resign. Now the man is 87 years old. Only 28% want a two-state solution. 70% want only a Palestinian state to replace Israel completely. 52% support terror attacks. Only 21% support negotiations between the PA and Israel. So again, I've said this so many times, we can have the United States as we do under uh, the Biden administration, we can have the European Union and everyone else talking about this two-state solution, Israel, you should be negotiating, you should be putting down the sword here, And but the other side doesn't want that. The vast majority of the Palestinian people want the war to continue, they support Islamic Jihad, they are looking for Iran to come in and rescue them, basically they want to see Zion disappear as it were. And uh, that is going to be a fact that uh, isn't going to change, Rick. I spent 33 years there, and it was the sentiment of the Palestinians I, I spoke with then, and it obviously, this latest poll shows, is still the case. But Abbas, when he leaves, and he's 87, so whether he resigns or not, he's going to go out one of these days, and it's very likely Hamas will take over the Palestinian Authority, and that will be the final end of the Oslo Accords and the so-called peace process. David, there are stories coming out right now where Israel is supplying arms to European nations. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, Rick, again, it's tied to the war in Ukraine. Uh, we know that most NATO countries have been sending weapons and their systems and tanks and other things to the Ukrainians in the last year and a half. And they're being depleted. Their supplies are being depleted. So they're looking elsewhere. And Israel has become a major resupplier for uh, mostly these European countries. And as you said, uh, reports say they've even agreed. Well, it was an Israeli official that revealed that they've agreed to sell an older version of their Merkava 
which means chariot in Hebrew, their Merkava tank, which they introduced after the Yom Kippur War so that they would have their own homemade uh, tanks instead of American tanks and French tanks as they had at the time. And um, they're in the fourth version of that tank in Israel, the Mark IV. Uh, but the older versions, they said they would sell to uh, some of these countries, and it's actually happening. Israel's uh, reportedly sold over $2 billion worth of military used in older military equipment to these countries that are asking for it. And uh, they earlier in 2021 sold 29 old F-16s to the U.S. and Britain for training purposes. So it's not a new thing, but it's been stepped up because of the war in Europe. And uh, again, the world seems to be marching towards uh, a fuller war, not just in the Middle East, but uh, Europe and China and all of these things getting involved. And Israel's watching it all very closely and, uh, you know, concerned with their own security. But they're not selling anything that would give away any secrets. These are older versions that have already been captured by Hezbollah, captured by Syria, captured by by some of their other enemies. So uh, that's the reality there. Well, David, very interesting developments in the Middle East there, and these dynamics in the Middle East are changing daily, so we appreciate you keeping us abreast of those situations. Well, one final question, and this was certainly interesting to me. It looks like Prime Minister Netanyahu is trying to initiate a dialogue with Turkish President uh, Erdogan. Can you talk to us a little bit about that situation? Well, yeah, it's really, according to press reports in Israel, it's related to the fact that Biden won't invite him to the White House or to the United States. So he's looking to have uh, some meetings with other leaders that are allied with the U.S. And, of course, Turkey's a NATO ally, even though Erdogan's relations with the U.S. have been strained over the past 10 years. They've been more than strained with Israel after he basically condemned uh, Israel, and uh, I won't go into all the details, but it's been very, very tough. But uh, yes, press reports say he's trying to ha- arrange a summit with Erdogan, trying to fully repair relations, which have been largely repaired in the last year and a half with uh, an exchange of ambassadors, the Israeli president going to Turkey to meet with Erdogan and others. But Netanyahu wants to have his own meeting with them, and we'll see if that develops. But it comes as as the administration there is having more internal troubles over the judicial reform situation and more threats uh, from um, even members of his own coalition over that that I won't get into. But uh, it seems like he's looking for a little bit of good news, uh, good reporting, and such a summit would be important and would be another step towards uh, repairing those ties fully. We'll see if it happens. I'm skeptical it will. Well, David, so many events taking place in the Middle East and around the world, really, that are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. We appreciate your position as a journalist, but also somebody who understands what the Bible says is going to take place in the end times. Thank you so much for being on the program, and we look forward to talking to you again in the future. It's always a pleasure, Rick, and God bless. David Dolan in our Middle East News Update. Great job, David. We're going to continue to focus on Israel and Iran on this program because I do think we're at a very pivotal point in history 
as we watch this conflict ramping up right before our very eyes, which is Bible prophecy about ready to be fulfilled. Because we do believe that this Ezekiel 38 war doesn't take place until after the rapture of the church. If we're so close to this event, how close are we to the rapture of the church? Let's go, Rick, and talk to Winky Madad in Israel. Well, that's right, Jimmy. We have Winky Madad with us, former mayor of Shiloh, our in-the-know politician, historian, all of that in Israel. He comes to us on a regular basis to talk to us about what is going on in Israel. Winky, thank you for joining us. I thank you very much once again for having me on. A pleasure and a privilege. Well, Winky, it is our privilege as well. We're talking quite a bit on this program about the threat that Iran poses to Israel. I would like to get your perspective. You live in Israel. You've been there for most of your adult life, and you live in the area that we call Judea and Samaria. Maybe the mainstream media calls the West Bank, but I just want to know, it seems like this situation with Iran and their quest to develop nuclear weapons, it seems like this situation is coming to a head and that there may be an inevitable conflict between Israel and Iran. You live in there in Israel. How do you view this situation? Well, I think the listening audience has to take into consideration whether they like it or not, whether they agree, which I hope they do, the perspective of Israel. Israel and its leadership on both sides of the aisle uh, Likud or whatever parties on the left, the Eshatid, etc., doesn't make a difference, are very much concerned over the past maybe 15 to 20 years and are convinced that Iran is intent upon doing the worst damage possible to Israel. This is not about a territorial line or water rights or any of the most of the other Conflicts I think our audience knows about in history over the past couple of hundred years. It's, a, it's an ideological aspect. They are a Shiite form of Islam, which is more extreme than Sunni. We are the small devil. The United States is the large, bigger devil. And they have been making their claims quite clear over the years. And nothing has stopped them from developing their nuclear capability. We see now that their drones are in the Ukraine in the hands of the Russians. So this is not only a, an Israeli Jewish thing, you know, that we're bothering the world because we think that we're being persecuted once again. And the terror that Iran sponsors, not only in the Middle East, but now I think they're moving into South America with the visits of all sorts of dignitaries, means that this is a very serious matter. And I don't think, this is my last line on this, on that question, that Washington really takes this as seriously as they need to be taking it. Well, I could certainly tend to agree with that uh, assessment of the situation. But I guess what I'm worried about, and and we look at this situation, we see that uh, Iran, an oil-rich country that basically has set about as their mission, as their reason for being, is to facilitate the destruction of the state of Israel. And you have many Iranian proxies surrounding Israel. I'm not trying to make you more anxious than than need be, but it seems like uh, the tension there would be palpable. And, and how are the people in Israel dealing with that tension? 
Well, to deal with the tension is very simply. We sort of put it in the back of our minds a little bit and hope that our government and the Army and its Air Force are what they've been promising us over the past years. They will do what it has to be done. On the other hand, though, as just came out this week, we found out that British universities and their scientists have been helping Iran develop those drones, those what we call suicide drones. So it's not only a matter of Russia, Iran, and China, or whatever you want to call it. We've got Western nations over the years, including Germany and France, in certain periods of time in the past, who have been actively assisting Iran. Now, that doesn't make us feel any better to know that, once again, in a certain sense, Israelis feel that they're being left in the lurch. And I would presume that some sort of smart person, at least one in Washington, would say, you know, we can't allow the Israelis to get too depressed, if I could use that term, because they might do something wild. Uh, well, I don't think it would be wild. I would think it would be protecting and securing the lives and the property and the future of the Jewish state of Israel. Well, Winky, it's such a serious subject, and we appreciate you commenting on it. We appreciate the severity of the situation. It's very interesting that you say we, we hope that our country is and our military is what was promised to us. Very interesting. Well, uh, we'll continue to move on. There's more mundane things to talk about. We talked a little bit in the previous segment with Dave Dolan about the Israeli political situation, the judicial overhaul, the coalition. These are all um, very complicated subjects. But since I have you on here and you do a great job of putting it in a format that is easy for us to understand, I know that's a big challenge, Winky. Could you tell us uh, what you see, uh, the status of the talks right now with the coalition? Where do you see the Israeli political system right now? Okay, a quick summary. The camp that is opposed to judicial reform has portrayed it as if we are going into dictatorship. We are losing democracy, and we're going into the dark ages. We're being compared to Nazi Germany in the demonstrations. They have been very vociferous. The language has been volatile. And uh, as we've seen over the past two weeks, they've taken the struggle abroad to the United States, France, and England. I think even Germany had uh, demonstrations in a, an attempt to cool heads and get a little bit of more talk about compromise, Mr. Netanyahu said, okay, we're going to go to the talks uh, suggested by President uh, Yitzhak Herzog. And in the past two or three days, it's become quite obvious that every single compromise offered, including the one in the Knesset uh, uh, this week, in which whether or not it was intended, the, the fact the bottom line is that a opposition member was elected to the committee that uh, selects the judges and justices of the Supreme Court eventually. In other words, the opposition basically got about 70% of what they wanted. And then Mr. Lapid and Mr. Gan said, we're breaking off the talks in the, uh, at the president's mansion. So uh, Mr. Netanyahu has a choice. 
Edict says, okay, we'll wait a while and see what happens. Olga says, okay, we're going to begin. Let's say I have five items, uh, legislative items on the agenda. Let's pick two and move ahead with them. I mean, it's his call. I don't know what he wants to do. Up until now, he's shown himself very restrained. Uh, he realizes that uh, PR-wise, perhaps, it wasn't presented in the best way possible without preparation or perhaps or whatever it is, even if he's right. And I've always said he's been right on these policies. Right now, we're at a stalemate because the opposition figures say no to everything. And until he breaks down, that's their hope, I think. Very interesting. Israeli politics, not for the faint of heart, and it seems like quite the zero-sum game as both of these sides go at each other. We appreciate you. I, I read all of these, um, the Jerusalem Post, the Times of Israel, all of these different news sources that try to help explain it. But when I listen to you, you help me understand it more than any of them. So I give you credit for that, Winky. Well, as we continue on, uh, last subject I'd like to talk to you about, and we often talk about the Temple Mount. I know that it is a subject that is very near and dear to your heart, the potential for a Jewish presence on the Temple Mount. As we continue on, it seems like there has been some more developments on the Temple Mount lately. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, uh, a good friend of mine, Rabbi Yehuda Glick, who I think is probably well known to to you and and the team and, and the listening audience, he took four bullets for the Temple Mount a couple of years ago and survived. Hosted, uh, if I'm not mistaken, her name is Paula White. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And okay, uh, I've seen her on not on television because we don't get direct television, but in, in in views. And I understand she's a very important person. And he took her up onto the Temple Mount. Now you and I and and you and your late father uh, always talked about whenever we talked about the Temple Mount. I always tried to make sure that it's not only Jews who can't pray up there or engage in any sort of religious performance, can I use the word, or prayer, or looking at a, at the good book, as we can call it, but Christians as well. And uh, if she has been up there, as other pastors and other Christians have been, it, of course, strengthens the bond and the political and uh, numerical potency of people who say the Temple Mount is not only a Muslim sacred site, but two other religions have very close relationships with it in the past and in the future. And they should be sharing, to the extent possible, that site. And there are a lot of ways of do that, to do that, and we've explored some of them in our conversations over the years. And I think that's very good news that uh, she was up there. More people from the Christian world, outstanding people, should take advantage of that and come and see what is at the Temple Mount. Well, Winky, I was just in Israel myself. I had a group of 58 homeschool students and their parents up on the Temple Mount. We talked about many of these same issues. I, uh, We are very familiar with Yehuda Click. He's been on the program many times, and he's actually been in some of our videos talking about the rebuilding of the Temple. But, Winky, when you look at the situation, you're not at all advocating for the removal of the Islamic presence on the Temple Mount, you're just saying that people of different faiths, and especially the Jewish faith and the Christian faith, should have an opportunity 
to be on the Temple Mount and, and actually to pray on the Temple Mount, right? Absolutely. It is my opinion that what God wants for the future is the responsibility of God. Men, our man, men and women, to be fair in this time and age and language, right? Uh, they do the best they can, but they're not uh, to upset things. They do the positive things. And positive in this first stage, I think, is can religions compromise and cooperate and coexist? And once it is shown that we're not taking down buildings or we're not throwing anybody off, but using the wide open spaces as you and those 58 uh, people in your group just recently saw, there's an awful lot of room up there. And uh, I think this could be perhaps a part of the solution of the so-called Arab-Israel conflict and attesting to the ability of people to live together. Well, Winky, as always, we appreciate your insight, your perspective. You do a great job of informing our listeners. We thank you so much for what you do and your presence there in Israel. Thank you for being on the program, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you very much, Rick, and regards to everybody listening to this program over the years. And once again, goodbye to you and our listeners. Israel Madad is a religious Jew who lives in Shiloh, out in Judea and Samaria. We always like to talk to him because he helps us to get a perspective on the ground in the land of Israel. David Dolan, from his 35 years plus of journalistic background, really gives us an understanding of what's taking place. And of course, Rick, you and I have been there many times in the land of Israel. We've been following this a long time. We're focusing on the conflict between Israel and Iran. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, the Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, interestingly enough, talking about the beginning of the Jewish people with Abraham. We'll have that in just a moment, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Of course, this program, we're focusing on Israel and Iran in the first hour of the program. And I started out the program, Rick, today talking about it's Father's Day weekend and the commandment that we're given as fathers to teach our children. And that is so very important, isn't it? It really is, Jimmy. And we were blessed. Uh, our father, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, he's uh, many people who listen to this radio program, they know Dad, and we have a special connection. We're talking about the Legacy Series that's coming up. It's very interesting. You talk about we have a responsibility to teach our children. Well, we are lucky enough to have our father, and many of his sermons, many of his messages are on video and on audio, and we can hear it. And it's just something that is special to me, and I'm sure it's special to you as well, Jimmy. Yes, this Father's Day weekend, we remember our fathers, and it's an encouragement to fathers everywhere to leave a legacy with your children that they will carry it on. Well, on the broadcast this weekend in our legacy series, we're going to continue our study focused on God's plan through the ages. And we will start where we concluded last week. We had traced through the first seven chapters of Genesis. And today we will start with Genesis chapter 8 and move through the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 12 would be a record of the first 2,000 years of human history from Adam to Abraham. 
In Genesis chapter 12, we see the call of Abram, a Gentile from the Ur of the Chaldees. He will travel to the land that God had promised him and there become the father of the Jewish people. In order to understand the future as foretold in Bible prophecy, we must know about the history of humankind that can only be found in the Bible. Let's begin our study today in Genesis chapter 8 with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. And then setting up again of an opportunity to allow God to use his plan among men in throughout the ages. In chapter 8, we see that Noah is able with his three sons and their four wives to have survived the flood. Chapter 9, verse 1, God gives a command to Noah and for his three sons to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. And uh, then in chapter 10, we see the record of obedience. And we look at the three boys, Jephthah, Ham, and Seth, and as they move out, they establish nations upon the face of the earth. Nations come into existence 4,500 years ago after the flood as the three sons of Noah followed the command. They would raise a family. They would take them to a certain piece of real estate in the world. Uh, They would teach them a brand new language because the one language of the world had been confused. Now they all had to learn new languages, and that helped them establish then these nations. And as you notice, at the end of each chronological genealogy of Seth and, and of uh, Ham and of Jepeth, they were establishing nations someplace in this world. Chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. And we see a great city is brought into existence, a prototype for chapter 18 of the book of Revelation, and a one-world headquarters for the economic, political, governmental system of the world located in the literal city of Babylon. The rest of chapter 11, verse 4, is talking about a religiosity, a religiosity, a mother-son cult. Uh, Remember chapter 17 of the book of Revelation, verse 5, says Babylon is the mother of all harlots. And that mother-son cult established 4,500 years ago culminates with everything coming to pass in the city of Rome, chapter 17 of the book of Revelation. We see that God raises up human government back in chapter 9, He brought into existence, in Genesis chapter 9, into existence human government. And since that time, he has used human government to move humankind in the direction he wanted them to go. Chapter 12 now, we come to the beginning of a new segment of the human family. Uh, In this first 2,000 years, from Genesis 1 to Genesis 12, from Adam to Abraham, there's only been Gentiles upon the face of the earth. The word Gentile is first used in the book of Genesis, chapter 10 and verse 5. These are the isles of the Gentiles. That Hebrew word is goy for Gentile, goyim for Gentiles, the plural. But that's the first time it's used, and that's all that were in existence during that first 2,000 years of human history. There were believing Gentiles and non-believing Gentiles. For example, Cain was a non-believing Gentile. Abel was a believing Gentile. Seth was a believing Gentile. Enoch was a believing Gentile. Noah, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth, they were believing Gentiles. But there were non-believing Gentiles throughout those 2,000 years of history in those first 12 chapters of the book of Genesis as well. Because a person was a believing Gentile did not make him a Christian. 
You don't put Christians in here. That's that other theology that approaches their study of the Word of God from an allegorical interpretation or a spiritualizing interpretation, a non-literal interpretation. So if we're going to stay literal to the Word of God, we have to realize that in that first 2,000 years, Genesis 1 to Genesis 12, only Gentiles upon the face of the earth. When you come to Genesis chapter 12, notice what the text tells us, Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house to a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Look at verse 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abram, and he said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. You cannot have a nation unless you have a land. Piece of real estate is essential in order for you to be a nation. God is introducing the Abrahamic covenant here, and he's going to bring into existence now the second strand of the human family. So from Adam to Abraham, 2,000 years, Genesis 1 to Genesis 12, only Gentiles upon the face of the earth. Some believing Gentiles, some lost Gentiles, non-believing Gentiles. When he brings Abram into existence, and Abraham is not, listen to me, is not going to be the father of the Arab world. That's an impossibility. Just look back for a moment. Look back here in chapter 10. And let me show you something. Chapter 10 and verse 6. Now these are the sons of Ham. Cush, that's Ethiopia, Somalia, Sudan. Hebrew for Egypt is Mizoram, the next country or nation mentioned. And verse 6, Put, that's modern day Libya. Notice here in verse 8, And Cush begot Nimrod. And then in verse 10 it says, In the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, last part of verse 10, in the land of Shinar, that's modern-day Iraq. Now this is prior to Abraham coming on the scene in chapter 12. In fact, it's 262 years prior to Abraham coming on the scene. How do I know? I read the genealogies. I told you, genealogies are great information. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. You need to read the genealogy. You can add the numbers up starting there in chapter 11, verse 10, as well as I can. But I'm telling you that Abraham did not establish the Arab world. Abraham is going to be the father of the Jewish nation. We're going to see that unfold. And as he fathers it, then that heritage of Judaism is going to pass along to his son Isaac. That'll pass along to his grandson Jacob. And we'll see the establishment of the second strand of the human family. Remember chapter 10, verse 32 of the book of 1 Corinthians? Gentiles, Jews, and Christians. We're looking at God's plan throughout the ages. He brings now the Jewish people into existence. We'll see why in just a moment. But notice the Arab world is already on the scene before Abraham comes along. And for sure, by the time Ishmael comes along, these Arab nations are up and running, operating already on the world scene. By the way, if you look at the text, and again, if you want to know what God's plan for the ages is, you look to the Word of God. Chapter 17 and verse 20 of the book of Genesis, God tells Abraham, uh, your son Ishmael is going to be the father of one nation, a great nation. Chapter 25 and verse 18 of the book of Genesis, Abraham's son Ishmael went to a place called, in the Bible, described by biblical geographical information 
as the country of Arabia then, the land of the area of Arabia, which we know as modern-day Saudi Arabia. And so Ishmael established one nation, and that was Arabia, Saudi Arabia. If you know anything about Islam, Muhammad, when he established in the 6th century the Islamic faith, he made this statement, I am a direct descendant of Ishmael. Part of one of those 12 tribes that when Ishmael got to Arabia, he had 12 sons and established. By the way, you know what these boys were called? They were Islamic fighters. Now that's before the Islamic religiosity had come on the scene. It was an Arabic word which means brain under submission. Chapter 16 of the book of Genesis said that Ishmael will raise his hand against every man and every man's hand will be raised against him. He'll be a wild man, like a wild donkey. And his 12 sons followed suit. What his sons would do would try to take over the tribes that each of those 12 sons had established in Arabia. And as they were going in to the area of one of their brothers, when they brought him under submission, they were called Islamic fighters because that's the word Islam in Arabic. Submission, not peace. Salam is peace in Arabic. And so he brought these people under submission. Anyway, we see Abraham now coming on the scene. Uh, the Jewish people are going to come into existence, and God's going to select them for a special purpose. He puts Jerusalem, Ezekiel 5, 5, in the center of the earth. He puts all the nations around Jerusalem. He does that, and he divides the numbers of the people into these different nations, according to Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 8, by the number of the Jewish people. Not because they were the greatest in number, they were the fewest in number, but he had a plan. God has a plan. God is laying it out in his word. That's why we need to have an understanding of his plan in the past so we can know how the future is going to unfold. And so he does that. Go to chapter 7, just a moment, of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 7. This is key for us understanding that God is choosing the Jewish people for a special purpose. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself. God is selecting the Jewish people. They're not going to be set aside later. They're not going to be replaced by the church, which is what that other theology says will happen. They are a special people, a chosen people for a special purpose. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Now notice how this happened and why it happened. Verse 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all the people. And by the way, you could really add in there, if you wanted to, looking at the history of the Jewish people over 4,000 years, well, you're not going to be an obedient people all the time either. You're not going to always honor me. You're not always going to do what I tell you to do. In fact, you're going to be so bad, I'm going to have to scatter you to the four corners of the earth. Here's how he chose them and why he chose them. Verse 8, but because the Lord loved you. I wrote over that verse in my Bible, grace, G-R-A-C-E. By God's grace, he chose these people. That's the only reason he chose me and you and all of us in the room. By his grace, 
He chose these people to come into existence. Go back to, to chapter 15 of the book of Genesis. God is going to give Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, and the Jewish people in essence, four covenants that are key to understanding God's plan in this age and past ages and future ages for the Jewish people, which is a part of his entire plan. We cannot set the Jews aside. We set the Jews aside. We negate the truths of God's word about our salvation. We cannot set the Jews aside. If indeed we try to set the Jews aside as if God does not have a plan for them in the future, then we will never understand God's plan for the future. I must also add that if God sets the Jews aside and fails to keep his promises to the Jewish people found in the four covenants that he gave the Jews, then we have no basis to believe that he will keep his promises about salvation to you and me. Next week, we'll look at those four Jewish covenants and see the future for the Jewish people in God's plan through the ages. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. We've got to take a break, and when we come back, Rick and I will take a look at the book as we recap the program today. Right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Super Typhoon Maywar hit Guam as a Category 4 storm three weeks ago, bringing heavy rain and hurricane-force winds to the North Pacific Island. Today, hundreds of people remain in public shelters. Thousands have no electricity or running water. Maywar battered Transworld Radio's antennas, taking gospel programs off the air for several days. A lot of equipment needs to be fixed. Visit us online to help TWR get back on the air with the hope of Christ. And in Burkina Faso, 66% of girls don't go past primary education. But with Christian World Outreach's Village of Opportunity, young ladies get vocational training. The staff also shares the gospel with them. One student, named Corrine, became a Christian. Then her dad was killed in a car accident and her mom kicked her out of the house. The staff at Village of Opportunity took her in, wrapped her in love, and continued to support her faith and physical needs. Find your place in this story at missionnews.org. Mission Network News is service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, it's Father's Day. We've talked about that. Of course, we have been left a legacy from our father who started with a very passionate understanding of Bible prophecy. 
That's his legacy. He left to us the value of studying the Bible and specifically Bible prophecy. Yes. And that's what we've done on today's program. We focused on Israel and Iran, Rick, on this program. I do think, and I told you, you know, I sent you a message early Monday morning that I think we need to focus on the Israeli-Iran conflict and, and how it's ramping up. And our thoughts today from the program, I mean, just from Ken Timmerman, David Dolan, Winky Madad, getting us up to speed and, and looking at the situation between Israel and Iran, it's very concerning. It is, and it certainly seems like there's a progression. We have talked about these things, and we sometimes, you and I, Jimmy, talk about this program, and we look at it, and we say, well, we're saying the same things over and mm -hmm. over again, but there's a progression. And as you keep your eye on what is taking place around the world, and this week, specifically Iran, you see that things are fundamentally beginning to shift, and it certainly looks like there's something about to happen, doesn't it? It sure does. And that's foretold in Bible prophecy. That's why we focus on it. And I've said several times in the program, and we've said it in the past, you know, I believe that Ezekiel 38, that conflict, the conflict between Gog and Magog, uh, which would be Russia and the leader of Russia, whoever that is, I, I think, uh, and I've seen reports now coming out about we should be concerned if Vladimir Putin does not continue on in in Russia, who will be the next leader? I think that's something we need to focus on because Gog is that leader of Russia. And along with Iran, along with uh, Egypt and Syria, uh, the nations that are a part of the Abrahamic Accord in Psalm 83, you've got all the major players of Bible prophecy. And I think we understand Bible prophecy by understanding that it helps us to focus and prepare ourselves for the rapture of the church. And the best way to prepare ourselves as believers is to live a life that in, where we honor God, we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. That commandment, the great commandment that Jesus referred to that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. So, Rick, I'm making a transition here <laughs> because, you know, we looked at Israel and Iran today. We've given all the facts. and we, we, you and I, realize how close that we are to a major conflict unfolding and where that plays uh, a part in Bible prophecy. But taking it to the stand of, you know, our lives here on this earth and, you know, with today and to beginning the weekend and the process for Father's Day and maybe a celebration uh, around homes. As fathers, we have that responsibility, don't we, to to teach and instruct and leave a legacy for our children so that they understand the world in which they're growing up in. We certainly do. And Jimmy, you are a little farther along in the process of being a father than I am. Your children are older. You have uh, a child in Bible school right now. And so your children are college age. Mine are still toddlers yeah. and in kindergarten and yep. elementary. But at each stage of the process, there is a chance to teach your children, to share with your children, to live a life uh, that is an example of what we are supposed to be as fathers and as men. And, and certainly, Jimmy, we had that example of a father who was very steeped in the Bible, who could 
share and teach with us, and now we have the responsibility to do that to our children. We sure do. You know, the Christian father is really an instrument in God's hand. The whole process of instruction and discipline must be that which God commands and which he administers so that his authority should be brought into constant and immediate contact with the mind, heart, and conscience of our children. The human father should never present himself as the ultimate authority to determine truth and duty. It is only by making God the teacher and ruler on whose authority everything is done, Rick, that the goals of education can be best attained. And our process in instructing our kids to grow up, I think we had a great teacher. He wasn't perfect by no stretch of the imagination, but he was one that helped us to continue on to understand and to be passionate about what we teach, why we teach it, and what we believe, correct? That's right, Jimmy. And if I could say this about dad, like you said, he wasn't necessarily perfect, but he always told us, go back to the scripture, go back to the word. That is where we get our power. That's where we get our strength. And that's how God speaks to us in these days. And and certainly that was one thing that dad always uh, made sure it was so important to us that we understand. Yes. In today's world, as we get closer and closer, Satan is getting much more active on the earth. We're seeing parents become less important in the eyes of the world leaders. They're their children. They're not our children, but these are children that God gave us. And we certainly have a responsibility to not only in our own lives, but in the lives of our children and our our families to be able to instruct them in the ways of righteousness. Martin Luther said, keep an apple beside the rod to give the child when he does well. Discipline must be exercised with watchful care and constant training with much prayer. Chastening, discipline, and counsel by the word of God, giving both reproof and encouragement are at the core of admonition. The instruction proceeds from the Lord, is learned in the school of Christian experience, and is administered by the parents. Primarily the father, but under his direction, the mother. Christian discipline is needed to enable children to grow up with reverence for God, respect for parental authority, knowledge of Christian standards, and habits of self-control. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Rick, thanks for doing the program with me this week. And really, thank you for doing all the the hard work and uh, investigating what's going on in Israel with Iran and worldwide, this conflict that could soon break out. My privilege and my pleasure, Jimmy. Folks, with everything that we've seen today, there is a reason why we do this, so that we are prepared and ready and to be about what the Lord has each and every single one of us to do, because the rapture of the church could happen at any moment. Let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.